Well, we say good morning. Great to be here. Thank you guys for coming in and filling up some holes this morning. We have quite a few people out. It's funny when it comes around summertime. That happens a lot. But uh, anyway, oh, we want to think about uh, Tony. He's been, he's had another surgery, of course, this past week, and he's now he was at MU Hospital, and now he's at Capital Region, and uh, he's coming along very well. Keep praying for him because uh, he is walking just a little bit. I understand, right, Michael? And uh, that is really good, isn't it? And uh, I even was thinking about, ooh, wouldn't it be cool if they would let us next week? be able to pick him up and bring him here. I'm thinking very positive that may not be the case. I know Tony would love that. Get him in a wheelchair, ride him on down, put him in the van, and just prop him up back there in a seat somewhere. <laughs> but anyway, I know it's driving him crazy not being able to be here, and we miss him and all that he means to us. Anyway, we, uh, I, you know, I think also of uh, Stan, who last week broke his finger in the time, or broke his thumb, right, his, in his hand there. And he was sitting here, he didn't, didn't even know about it, and then uh, Debbie, who knows about things like that, you know, broken hands and whatever, she said, you need to go check that out. And he did, and sure enough, that day found out that he broke his hand. Oh, yeah, well, everybody else is getting injured, you know, I might as well at least make it look like it. I got stabbed. I got stabbed yesterday, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not even going to talk about my hand. Debbie has gone through all sorts of things. Yeah, with a concussion and all sorts of other things that are going on there. But so she's battling that. And then also, we also want to be praying for Annie. Annie is in Houston right now and waiting to see what the answer is. She'll be there a week. And uh, if it goes well, uh, it could be really, really good. They'll be able to diagnose her even more thoroughly as, the, as it goes along. And of course, we're talking about possible cancers, but uh, it's still looking good. Well, we understand. So keep her impressed. So we, we got a lot of people that's uh, associated with this that is really, um, I think, having a battle physically. And uh, do we all have not only physical battles, but spiritual battles? That is what we are going to be talking about today. But first, before I say anything more, you as a believer, temple of the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is the one who baptized you, placed you into the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one who has taken residence in you. He dwells in you. He lives in you. We talked about that last week, right? And because of that, He wants to fill us with Himself. Be filled with the Spirit. He wants us to walk in the Spirit. He wants to manifest the very fruit of the Spirit. You notice all of those have to do with the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Boy, He has everything to do with our salvation, with our sanctification, certainly. And we give honor to the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we forget to think that uh, we need to be praising the Holy Spirit because He's part of the triune God. He is God. He is. 
And He's the very power of your spiritual life. He's the power that you have in living this spirit life that we have. So for us to understand this even more, more thoroughly, it is vital. Terribly important. And uh, I hope that the ones who aren't here will be able to read this passage and maybe tune in to the audio, the video, whatever, or search other text about this because and other messages about it. It's, it's so vital. Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us. How do we obtain victory over sin? Well, it's only in the Spirit of God. Paul gives us the one and only answer in these verses that we are looking at right here. What we're looking at today is that Paul is arguing. He's making his argument that Christians have an obligation to the Holy Spirit according to the things of the Holy Spirit rather than according to the sinful nature. And you remember, we don't even have a sinful nature anymore. The sinful nature is dead. It's gone. Uh, we don't battle the sinful nature. We do battle the things that are in the flesh. We do battle the members of our body. But the old man is dead. He is gone. And we must remember that. Uh, we have been delivered from the very wrath of God because of what Christ has done. We are a new reality. We, each one of us, are new persons. We are... New people who have a new nature. The dead, the old one, is gone. And we have a new living spirit. Now God has done things for us in amazing ways with some of those positive things that we just checked out there as being placed in the body of Christ and to be led by the Spirit. He's residing in you, in us. And you could go on and on and on and on. We looked at that last week. You know what? We do have an obligation because he's been saying you can't satisfy God. No works that you have are going to be good enough. Matter of fact, they are like filthy rags. You can't do anything. And then now all of a sudden, it's like the tone has changed because of the Spirit who now lives in us. Now, here is what you do. And we thought we got this off scot free. Hey, it's like, um, you know, just let go. And let God. And that's one of the answers that the body of Christ has sought on this. Oh, don't do anything. Don't do, you can't do anything anyway, so just let God do it. No, now we get into a very specific command to uh, actually serve Him, to live the Christian life, to kill sin in this particular occasion. That's really what this is about. This is the Christian life. Our Christian lives are meant to kill sin constantly, just like we like to kill weeds out in the yard. Does anybody do that? Probably not. It's okay. Uh, I get consumed with it, and I get a weed out there, man. I got to kill it, pull it out, you know. And but and then whenever I do that, I think, man, this is like the spiritual life, isn't it? It's just, and it's, it goes on and on. You pull the weeds, you poison the weeds, and guess what? Other ones just come on up. And then the ones that you killed, for some reason, they come back up. It's constant. And that is the Christian life. 
Everything we've seen in Romans 8 so far, is Romans 8 an upbeat chapter? You better believe it. And it is really featuring the Holy Spirit and what He does in our lives. But it's a general description of the Christian's life because of the Holy Spirit. That's what everything we've seen. We're talking about our status, our position, our character, our nature, our experience. All of these things are involving the Holy Spirit that's empowering us and He's put us into a different situation. And even our future expectation, the future glory that is to come. Oh, what an expectation that is, isn't it? Now for the first time, Paul draws a conclusion saying that the very work of God for us now presents us with a very serious obligation. It's to put to death the sins of the body. Remember the body, the members of the body? To put to death those sins. So we're told in detail, and we're doing two verses We're told in detail how the Christian is to wage the battle against sin, against flesh, against the devil, against the world, all the enemies. How do we wage battle against this? Because it's ever going on, isn't it? It is constant. If we don't know that, we're in real trouble because you've got bullets flying all around you. You've got arrows being shot at you. Flaming arrows. I want to tell you, that this is the chief problem of the Christian today. The war that he is in. Constantly putting out the flames. And if it's a chief problem, we must find out how do we win. How's the Christian to meet the problem of sin while he's still in this body, in this life, in this world? These two verses tell us. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. We need help. (laughs) Father, great God, yes, we do need help. It's Your help. Your help is always here because You have sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Encourager, the Exhorter, the One who convicts us of our sin. Lord, every one of us here has that great battle of sin. It may not be obvious to anybody else, but to us, we know what those sins are and we want to put those sins out as quick as they flame up. And we know the Holy Spirit does that. So help us today, Lord, take these couple of verses and see how they apply so much to us in this war that we are engaged in. In Jesus' name, Amen. We have two points to the outline today. Number one is realize who you are. That's what we start off with. Realize who you are, what you are. That's where everything starts off with. If you, and that's why I started off today with a real positive note of what the Holy Spirit has done. And remembering the last verse or section that we dealt with last week, If you'll remember, He dwells in us. We need to remember that. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the Gospel every day. Elsewise, we'll try it on our own and we'll fail. We will fall on our face. We must realize what He did at the cross and we must realize that He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell right here in us. 
That is the life of God in the soul of you. So, with that, we see the very first word here, or two words. Mine in the NAS says, so then. Uh, you might have therefore. Uh, it means the same thing. What's the therefore, therefore? Why is so then there? Well, it's an important word, even though it doesn't seem too important. Every time you have a therefore, he's saying here, because of what I've done, now you do this because you can, because I gave you everything to do it with. Isn't that great to know? Yes. Yes, we will read that. Let's go ahead and stay. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You can be seated. Short text. We're going to be out of here today in 10 minutes. <laughs> Michael, Michael knows that. He says, I've been listening to this for 30 years. I know better than that. The same text for 30 years? <laughs> Actually, we, we know this, this text is familiar with all Christians. Whether you say, well, I can't remember if it's Romans or whatever. But this is actually, we're going to find out, this is all throughout the Bible. I mean, you can't miss it. It is everywhere. And we have not really been seeing a lot of this sanctification because the first few chapters were all about you have to be justified because you're wicked, evil sinners and there's nothing good about you. I love to say that. <laughs> uh, I better include myself. Okay. We, we, we. Uh, you know, He's done everything, and He's given us everything to do what we're supposed to do. And yet, we could say we're committed to it, but a lot of times we just don't do what we should be doing, or we're not stopping the things we should be stopping. And that's why this text is here. Therefore, it's really introducing a consequence of what has already been stated. And it's really, okay, this is how you live your Christian life. If you'll look back into verse uh, 11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. This is quite the power, isn't it? He who raised Christ Jesus, speaking of the Spirit of God, from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's quite a mouthful. I'm not going to spend time on that section because we did last week, but He's saying the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the whole triune God dwells in you. Therefore, so then, we are not to live according to what the flesh is. Even though we live in the flesh, we're not to live like we once did. And that's obvious. We know a Christian's life has to change. Talking, you know, you talk to people all the time, they say, you know, I know such and such. They've made a commitment to, or a profession of Jesus Christ, but you know what? 
the things that they do really makes me question if they really are a Christian. They do this, they do this, they do this, they do this. They don't do what they should be doing. Don't do. Well, a Christian can be that way, and we have to be really careful about making judgments, but we are fruit inspectors. And if we're fruit inspectors and we don't see the fruit, we need to check that out. Maybe we need to get the approach differently to that person as seeing them maybe they're lost and they need Christ. They have a religion, they have a profession, but it's really not real. They are of the flesh. So uh, anyway, Paul is telling us here we need to realize that if we're Christians, that's what we are. We are this. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Realize who you are. And we are to battle against sin. Okay, so there's the therefore. If you were to uh, move on, the next on the outline says no obligation to the flesh. So then brethren, he's talking to believers there, Christians, brethren. Brothers, so then brothers, sisters, we are under obligation, and he says not to the flesh. So he starts off with a negative sense. We're not in the, under any obligation at all. Back to that flesh. Uh, it's like uh, that was the other field that we live in. There's a road that divides that field. And over here on the other side is the spiritual fields. We were in the devil's fields, the world's fields before. We've now been transferred from that field to this field. The commander-in-chief that we once knew, which was really Satan, or the flesh, or the world, barks out commands. We hear the commands, but we don't march to them anymore. And when we do, we go, oh, why did I do that? What am I doing? We are under no obligation to that commander anymore. He's done. We don't listen to those orders we have nothing to do with it at all. That's really what he's saying. We have no obligation. You know what? If you rejoice because you're a Christian, then why go on living as if you're still not a Christian? Does that make sense? If you're a Christian, why are you living like you're not a Christian? Hmm. You know what? That is illogical, isn't it? To be a Christian and to live like a non-Christian. It's illogical, it's inconceivable, it's inconsistent. It's absolutely ridiculous. So why is it ridiculous? Well, we'll give you a few reasons here. Uh, it's on your outline. No longer in the flesh. We're no longer in the flesh. We're no longer in the flesh. We're not living in the flesh. Yes, the fleshly aspect, this body, yes, we live in, this new man, but... Uh, we look in verse 9, it says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That means all believers have the Holy Spirit. And if He is in you, you're not in the flesh anymore. That's the doctrine of it all. That's the theology. You're not in the flesh. You can sure look like it. You can be carnal acting. That doesn't give you credence to live like the devil, or live like the world or whatever. But it's ridiculous because we are no longer doing that. It's like a man that is uh, from a certain country and he lives according to the customs of that country because he loves that country. 
he does what they do, and it's it's a good thing to do. Uh, but he wouldn't be doing some other things that he belonged to another country. If he loved this one country, why wouldn't he stay loyal to this country that he is? If you're from another country and then you come in here, you're not loyal to it. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It's you know why do you come to this country if you don't like its customs? You don't like it. Uh, on, in, in light of that, I also would say, I guess, why is it that people are born here hate this country? Why do they hate the, the customs and everything that's involved, the Constitution and everything that makes up what this country was based on, right? So, uh, I guess the idea is here, if we're from this country and we love it, then we're going to show it. You know, we're going to say thanks to God because He put us in this country that resembles some of the things in the law that are of the law of God. At least they used to. And a lot of those things are getting torn to shreds today, aren't they? Right before our eyes. So, we are glad to have you. Very good. Very good. We now move on to another. So, we have no obligation to the flesh. We are not debtors, right? We are not having any obligation. And we say, why is it ridiculous? Well, first of all, the Bible has already told us that we're no longer in the flesh. We are not fleshly people. We are not carnal. That's not our position. Our carnal lives are not um, representing the spiritual man that we are. We are not fleshly. Number two, the flesh does not have any right over us at all. Nothing. Nothing that where there would be rights. We are not controlled by the flesh any longer. Look in chapter 6 of Romans 6.14 and it says, For sin shall not be master over you. Why? For you're not under law, but under grace. Our master is Christ. We don't have two masters. So that old master, sin, does not control us. It's Christ that does. Look in chapter 7 of Romans, chapter 7, verse 5. Uh, read verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to Him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Here we go. For while we were in the flesh, when we were unbelievers, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, the law magnified those sins, were work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, and not in oldness of the letter. The flesh doesn't have any rights over us at all. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We have a citizenship here in the United States, we know that, but that will pass. We really are citizens of the kingdom of God. And man, I'll tell you what, that is where I get my joy. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. And... You know, back in the Civil War, 
we know that slavery was a big issue there in the Civil War. And whenever the Civil War was ended, especially in the South, a lot of the slaves really didn't know that. Slavery was abolished. And they didn't really... It didn't catch on to them. I mean, it didn't, they, didn't get, they didn't realize this. That they were now free. They had liberty. They were to be set free. They had freedom. But they still lived in fear to the very master that they've had all their lives. And so they still took the orders from their master not realizing what had happened to them. They didn't realize their freedom and they went on living as if they were still slaves. That is what, uh, a, what a, a procedure that a lot of Christians would be involved with. They think that's their position. That it seems like they are in underneath the Master that they once were. And, and they're not. Realize who you are. Realize that that old Master has nothing over you, has no right over you. The next one is the fight against sin is only temporary. Why is it ridiculous to think that we have an obligation to the flesh, that we would actually obey the things of the flesh? Well, this is another one because our fight here is only temporary. It's not forever. It seems like it goes on and on, but it's not eternal. Our position is in Christ. Sin is left only in the members. That's our problem. It's in the members of the body. That is our main problem in all of this life that we know of. You can say, yeah, I've got an economic problem now, financial crisis that's going on. I've got problems at work. I've got problems at home. I've got this problem. Yeah, you know what? That's really not your problem. Your problem is don't blame it on anybody else. Go and see what the problem is. Oh, really, this is where it's at. I have a problem with the members of my body. You see, because I really like to put myself first. That's my problem. It's called pride. In a day where people want to flaunt their pride and it's Pride Month, how ridiculous, how opposite that is from God's way, isn't it? And it just turns your stomach over when you hear that again. You see all the pictures, you see the videos that's going on, you go, oh my... Don't be surprised. That's the things of the world. And as God removes His hands off people, they will do the worst things. And every day there's something else that's gone on that you go, I can't believe this. And it's going to continue to be, I can't believe this. Then turn your mind into what truth is and say, you know, they don't know Christ. And because they don't know Christ, He's unleashed His wrath on them. Unless His grace comes in and changes their heart and mind, they're going to accept all of these things because that's the way of the world now and it is becoming a one world. Don't be surprised when we become not the majority. We will be very much a minority if we believe these things. Be ready. Be ready for an onslaught. It's happening. Uh, Dennis, you really need to think more positive. I am. Because I know these things have to take place. And also know that there could be a revival. I don't give up on that either. Because I want to see other people saved. 
and they will be saved, by the way. If you believe in the sovereign God, everybody that has been chosen before the foundation of the world, they're going to have to come into life if they've been chosen and they're not born yet. Well, they're going to have to come along and be born and to be born again, don't they? So who knows? You know, God knows. But uh, this is a temporary fight. Sin is left only in your body. Don't live for the body. Realize that the fight remains in our body. It's temporary. It's going to pass. It's going to die. Your body's going to die, folks. I got good news. <laughs> that means you get released out of this. You're being held captive. Your new man is. You are in Christ, though, all at the same time. You are in the ark. Okay, another one. Why is it ridiculous to, like Romans 8 says here, to be listening to the things of the flesh? Well, we no longer belong to the realm of death. Because you remember, did we die? Yes, we died already. If I died, I'm no longer under the realm of death. My body will die. But that's what God has designed for that to die and we will get a new body. When we live in the flesh, we're reverting again to the realm of death. Uh, when I say that, whenever we resemble the things of the flesh, because we can't be in the flesh anymore for Christians. But if we're looking like that, and uh, it, it questions it, other people. I mean, other people are questioning this whole thing. What, what's wrong with them? They're living like the world. What's the deal? Uh, well, they are looking like they belong to the realm of death. That's what they look like. It may not be, but that's what they're looking like. You don't belong to the realm of death anymore because you have eternal life. Can you have life and death at the same time? No. And another one, and this is another reason why uh, obeying the commands of the flesh is ridiculous. Living after the flesh grieves the Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? in me. Why am I grieving Him? He's right here with me. If God was standing right here right now, would I be saying things out of my mouth that would be contradictory to who He is? Hey, guys, this is Jesus. And then all of a sudden it starts a bunch of expletives come out of my mouth. Would we do that? No way! But as long as He steps back and He's out of sight, then it's okay to say those words, right? Well, no. But can we do that? I guess we could. But it doesn't represent Christ at all, does it? So it grieves the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us and He knows exactly what's going on and it makes Him really sad. You know what the great antagonist is to the Spirit? The flesh. Galatians 5. The Spirit hates the flesh and the flesh hates the Spirit. And then it goes on to name off a whole list of flesh sins. And then we get the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians 5. So it grieves the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, do we? He lives in us. Okay. Now, part C of number one there. So how can you go on living after the flesh? It's a contradiction, right, to grace. 
It was living after the flesh that brought us trouble, brought us pain, brought us loss, eternal danger. That's what we were underneath in the first place. Why would you continue to live that way? Right? I don't want to have anything to do with the old life. What's the point of all this? Remember who you are. You remember what's been done to you. Remember what you are. One who lives after the flesh is not a Christian. That's what Romans 8, 8 says here. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And then he says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. No, we can't die anymore as Christians. So it's saying, here's a principle. If you are living, and that's an ongoing lifestyle that you have, and it doesn't resemble Christianity, you're not a Christian. That is what you are. You're not a Christian. But you and I are not debtors to the flesh. Because people who live after the flesh are people who belong to the realm of what? Death. We have life. Those people are not alive. They are dead. Ephesians 2 says, For you are dead in sin. In your transgressions, you are dead. But a Christian is full of life. Holy Spirit life. Holy Spirit empowered. Christ exalting life. So why does Paul write in such a way as he's writing to brothers here, Christians? For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Well, we don't have a sinful nature anymore, do we? No. We do have the flesh. The members of the flesh. So why does, why does Paul say this? Well, first of all, it's a general statement. You know, it's, it can be a warning to a Christian in this sense. If you have a, oh, a little guy five years old, four years old. You say, hey, there's a campfire going. He says, if you put your fingers into that fire, you'll get burnt. Or if you stick your fingers in that socket, it'll burn you, it'll shock you. Right? Of course, you know what they're going to do. But there's a warning there. We really mean that. You don't want to burn, do you? And boy, you've got to explain. Here's why you don't want to do this. This is not fun. I mean, this will bring you pain and hurt. Well, that is a general statement. If you, if we as Christians are uh, doing some sins that don't resemble Christianity, it'll burn us. So in that sense, that's how that can mean it. And as he's talking to Christians. But on the other hand, let's go to this. It's like this. Paul is saying, if you live like a non-Christian, catch this, if you as a person are living like a non-Christian, because you are a non-Christian, that is the reason why. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. If you really are a Christian, you will not live according to the what? The flesh. According to the flesh. Instead, you will acknowledge that you actually are in Jesus Christ. And you will live accordingly. 
That's what James Montgomery Boyce is saying. He's saying if you're living in the flesh, and I mean that's you know ongoing and it just it's consistent, uh, then you're not a Christian. That's really what it means. Either you're a Christian or not a Christian. If you live according to the flesh, well, you're not a Christian. But if you live according to the Holy Spirit, then you're a Christian. It's a black and white deal. It can be used as a warning for Christians, but Christians don't die, and ultimately that's what it's saying. If you're still living according to the flesh, don't even claim to be a Christian. You're not. That's how blunt Paul is putting it here. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the apostle teaches quite clearly that the way of sanctification is the way of realizing the truth about ourselves as Christians and then putting it into practice. And that's where we're heading to point two here. We're almost at the end of one. He's saying if you're living according to the flesh, this is not true of a Christian. A Christian can't live according to the flesh. To you is the Christian who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That's life. You can't die spiritually. Look in Romans 6, 20-22. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That means you didn't do righteousness. You were free to that. You didn't serve it. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is what? Death. But now, and I love those two words, but now. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, after realizing that we're dead in sins, what does he say? But now. Here it says, now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification, not death, and the outcome, what is it? Eternal life. And then here's that famous verse, for the wages of sin is death. On the other hand, if you're a Christian, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. Realize who you are and what you are. That's what number one is. It starts with just knowing. To know these truths. Because we can't defeat it on ourselves Did you know that you were quickened? That you were born again? That God's power came into you? Did you know the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you? That says volumes. And so he says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. Reckon that. Know it. Reckon it. Yield to it. You are dead to sin and alive to sin. God. Point number one is done because that's the most important thing. Realize who you are. Realize what you are. Does that help in our battle? Now, the part where it goes into action. Here's, we've heard the doctrine all up to this point, and then we realize who we are, and now it's to take action. Here's finally. What we do, he says. God, God says, now, do this. Here's what I've done. Here's who you are. Do it. Because you have the power to do it. It's not from the flesh, is it? What we've been just looking at now calls for action. Christian has action. 
There are plenty of passages, and you know what? We're going to go through a lot of the New Testament here this morning. This speaks of action. Every one of these. Let's start in 1 Corinthians 9.24. The next book over. This is Paul. Did Paul fight the flesh, the deeds of the body? Did he do that? What does he do in Romans 9.24 or Corinthians 9.24? Do you not know? And uses the word, are you ignorant? Don't you know this? That those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize, and he says this run in such a way that you may win. In your Christian life, they had the Olympics back at that time, at the time of Paul. You think of Athens, Corinth, the games. And now I take something that they were all uh, aware of. A lot of times I'll use baseball illustrations, use the Cardinals and that kind of thing, you know, uh, because there's much discipline involved in athletics. And here what we have is something in the same way. And by verse 27, I discipline my body, make it my slave. I run that I, I may win. And so that, that definitely is the idea. Second Corinthians 6.14. I'm going to try to go in order so it won't be so much hard turning for us. Second Corinthians 6.14 Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership or fellowship have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of a living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be My people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. That uh, tells us to watch our company. Bad company corrupts good morals. Even if they tell you you're Christians. Look in chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Fear of God. We all need a healthy fear of God. I think, matter of fact, on your outline, not outline, but on your bulletins on the very first page, what does it say? Somebody could, could you read that? Yeah, Penny. Uh, on your, uh, yeah, on the, the song, yeah, the song list. At the very top. The fear of God is the death of every other fear, like a mighty lion that chases all other fears that is a powerful sentence isn't it fear of God can quench all the other fears if you fear him if you respect him with a mighty awe and know that he is a lion and we can't take him for granted and say ah he doesn't do anything I'll just do whatever I want hey listen he is our commander he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves that's really what it's about. Is he trying to take fun from us? No way. 
But he's saying, this will burn you. This will hurt. Fear God. Now turn to Galatians, the next book over. Galatians 5, 16. Oh, we have a lot of them, folks, here today. 5, 16. This is all the Word of God. This is not coming from Dennis. This is not the Gospel of Dennis. For, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Members of the body. It says, walk by the Spirit. That's to live your life on an ongoing, every day, every moment commitment to Christ. Walk. Live it according to Christ. According to the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 Look at verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what we have done, but I do want to tell you it also means we continue to do this on a daily basis. That's what sanctification is. It's a process that goes on till Christ comes back. Being set apart, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a past tense, but there's also the ongoing thing daily. The lustful passions. The desires that are not the things of Christ. This is the real battle, isn't it? And He tells us, don't do that. Here's what you do. You crucify it. You kill it. And we'll get into that in a moment. The, the mortification. That's what really what all this is. Turn to the next book, Ephesians 4.1. Just a few pages over. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We know what our calling is. And the calling, if you're wondering what it is, is what we're just reading right here. <laughs> if you back up, you would see this is what that's about. Chapter 4, verse 17. Same chapter there, 17. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk, you live, no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. We're not that. We're not that anymore. Don't do that. Don't be like what you once were or like they are. Next book is Philippians. Go to Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Work it out knowing that you're under the fear of God, which is a good fear, a healthy fear. You're in awe of Him. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now that's where the works come in for the Christian. Once you're a Christian, now your works are valuable. And they do mean something. Because they are God's works that have been put in you. You didn't dream them up. He did. He put them in you to do. So a Christian is to do. We don't set and do nothing. Let go, let God. No. Do it. What do I do? Open up your Scriptures and find out. <laughs> God has a lot of things for you to do. A lot of things. Look them up. Well, let's continue on. What's the next book? 
Colossians chapter 3. Oh, I like this part. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You know what that means? And you can read all the way to verse 10 here. Um, and we will probably do it. But he says in verse 2, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died. Remember Romans? You died. Put your mind in the heavenlies. Put your focus there. This is what the Christian life is about. Now what I want you to do is look at verse 5. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Remember who you are, right? Okay, now look at this. Tim morality. Tim purity, passion, evil desire, greed which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Look at this. But now also you put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, just being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We'll stop there and we'll move on to another one. Did you, did you see all those? A whole list of sins. Don't do those. That's what the old life is. You don't want that. That's trash. It's garbage. It's having a steak in front of you and going over here and eating out of the city dump. Literally, yeah, it, it, you know, really, that's so corrupt it is. First Thessalonians four five. Four four. Each of you are to know to possess his own vessel in here's that word, sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles, who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification to be set apart. Look at verse 3. What's the will of God? Well, this is one of them right here. I want to know the will of God. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You're being a saint to be set apart to be holy. That's the idea. What's the will of God for us to be set apart to be holy? Did you know why we are even living on this earth as it is? Wouldn't it have been great? You get saved and you go right on into heaven and you have a glorified body. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> and He didn't do that. Well, He always knows what He's doing. And I know I would rather have it the other way. You become a Christian, you graduate, diploma, boom, you're with God. It doesn't work that way, does it? Here's what the purpose of God is, is that why we remain here. Your sanctification. What is it? It says that is, that you abstain, and it's funny, it starts with this, sexual immorality. What, what is that? It's just what it says. <laughs> Everybody knows it's wrong. Pornea. Fornication. Any kind of sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality. Fornication. That of each of you know how to possess his own vessel on sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion and on. Okay. So that's one of the wills of God that we would be sanctified from those things. We move on and we go to 1 Timothy 
6. Boy, there are a lot of these in here, isn't it? 1 Timothy 6. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, flee from those youthful things and pursue what is godly. You know what they are. Um, 2 Timothy 2.19 Actually, turn to 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call the Lord from a pure heart. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Peter is saying the same thing as who has been saying the other things. Paul. Is he robbing from Peter to pay Paul? It's the same thing. Is it? No robbery here. Uh, oh my, there's just so many of them. Uh, Hebrews 12.2 Actually, he, he says some things in Peter. That was Timothy. I'm sorry about that. Um, boy, I just... I'm trying to figure out which ones I want to go here to. <laughs> and I can't omit it. Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2 Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin, the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Christ, right? That's how we do it. Put it on Christ. Uh, We'll go to uh, James real quick. James 4, 7 and 8. These are all things that you do. The Bible is full of things that we do. James 4, 7 and 8. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you sinners. You double-minded. Right? Purify. Purify. First Peter 1 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't be conformed to the former lust which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. You shall be holy, for I am holy. One after another after another. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, Peter keeps on going with those. For lack of time now, um, Paul teaches us about sanctification in Romans 8. And then he shows it through the epistles. And then we see it in Hebrews. We see it in James. We see it in, in uh, Peter all throughout 
the New Testament. It's all throughout there, John. Okay, now we get into the very word I wanted to spend the heart of this on today, and really that's what it has been. Because right at the end of verse 13 it says, But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you're a Christian, you will live. If you're a Christian, you know what you're doing to the deeds of the body? You're killing them. You say, really? Do you know what the word is there in the King James? You'll see the word mortify. It means to put to death. It means to kill. It means to render inoperative. It means to make extinct. To kill it. That means we are to kill the remaining sin that we have in our body. Keep killing the sin. The war's not over. It's going on. And it continues to go on. Mortify. John Owen wrote a classic book called The Mortification of Sin. One of the all-time best books ever. Write it down if you're trying to think, well, what is the best book that I could go to? Well, it's Scripture, obviously. But this was written for very young men. Young teens at the oldest. And you can say, John, oh, and I can't read him. It's so hard. Uh, well, it is. But this is why our minds have been polluted and we, want, we don't think high. He says to put your mind in the heavens and your mind needs to be renewed daily. We need to be challenged to read things that are over our head and take your time with it because it's stuff that is right here and it's getting to the depth of it. Here's what John Owen said. The choice believers who are any believers, who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin, ought to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. J.I. Packer says, prepare for the knife when you read John Owen's thoughts on mortification. (laughs) He's going to do surgery on you. And if you're really committed... You'll say, Lord, take the knife and do what it takes with me. Well, he's doing that. Whether you like it or not. Derek Thomas said, we are not to ever show sin mercy. Sin is to be killed outright. Boy, if somebody was tuning in on the message right now, and if they don't know what this is talking about, he's he's killing. He's talking about killing. He's probably talking about guns and gun gun rights. Well, there's no peace with sin. It can't be done. Sin is to be destroyed. You are to hack Agag to pieces. You'll see that in the Old Testament. Its life is not ever to be spared. Kill it. We're we're talking being radical. Radical destroyers of sin. Sin needs to be killed. It needs to be strangled. It needs to be starved. It needs to be choked. Whatever it is, cut it off. And how is this to be done? Well, it's not simple. But if you take Christ seriously, cut it off. Don't be trying to kill other sins. We've got way too much of ourselves to kill. Start focusing on how can I do this? Can we conquer it? And you say, I've already tried it before. Every time I do, I lose confidence because I blow it. You know, I really want victory over this sin and obviously I'm never going to have it so I'm not going to try again. I want to tell you, 
Look at the blood of Christ. Look at the blood of the great Sovereign One. And that is the remedy for sin-sick souls. Because He died for this kind of thing. You live in this. You're conquerors. You're more than conquerors. We have hope for victory, don't we? We can win. We can starve sin. We can kill sin. You know, don't feed it. Slit its throat. Starve it. Choke it. Whatever it takes. What are the wrong ways to mortify? Number one, people love to go to monasticism or do something for God. So, uh, taking it lightly, some people today will have 40 days of Lent and they'll give up eating ice cream for 40 days. They'll quit smoking cigarettes for 40 days. At least they say these things. They'll, whatever it is, they'll quit eating meat on Fridays. They'll give up things. They will do things. There, there are people that will go to monasteries to get away from any kind of sin and they'll get there and they won't have women to tempt them. They won't have anybody to tempt them. They're on their own. Some will go out of the woods and live by themselves. And yet, that thought of sin is always there. Matter of fact, it's even more torture. Because the thought is there always, whatever that may be. Monasticism, folks, is not the way to defeat sin. People are things, I'm going to do things for God now. Right? They're going to work their way to God. God hates that kind of work. Because it will not it's not relying on his work at the cross. Number two, it's legalism. They will cut their hair. Men will cut their hair and not have long hair. Or women will grow their hair long and never cut it. Or they will wear nothing but dresses all the time because it's a sin to wear anything else, shorts or pants or what have you. Um, and I'm not saying this is how you ought to dress or not to dress. What I'm saying is that they will do outward things to please God. And so they're being sanctified by the way they look. Or if you have 20 kids, you're, you're, you're holy and, and sanctified. You ever heard of the Duggars? Remember the Duggars, uh, independent Baptist group, and uh, they showing outwardly how spiritual they are all at the same time they had... Um, all sorts of different kinds of sexual immorality going on, and I think one was put into prison and molesting sisters and a lot of those kind of things going on, and they, they couldn't hide it. Um, there is a right way to mortify. I've got a lot of scripture, and I'll probably just kind of go sailing through this, but isn't it through the Spirit that we can mortify? It's a spiritual thing, it's not an outward thing. If we do this thing, if we cut, if we quit certain things, I'm going to satisfy God, or I'm going to start certain things, and they, those can be good. But we all have the power to do this. So how does this work out in practice then? Second Peter chapter one, and I'm going to have to go through this rather rapidly, but Second Peter chapter one, verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. This is, this is called grace, sanctification, folks. I'm not after an outward thing. It sounds like legalism, and that is not what I am talking about at all. Look what Peter says. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. 
through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these, look at this, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now look at this. Here's how you do it. Now for this very reason, because He's given us all this power and all these promises. Power and promises are great. Look at this. Apply all diligence. That means to put all your effort into your faith. Supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. Don't get angry, mad, blow off the top. And in your self-control, perseverance, keep on keeping on. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. That means to give yourself up. Sacrifice yourself for you, this other one who is more important than you are. That kind of love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you lack these qualities, look at what happens. You're blind, short-sighted, having forgotten your purification from your former sins. And then you are to be diligent about the calling that you have. It makes certain what your calling is and you don't start doubting your salvation. You know exactly who you are. I'm a child of God, child of the King. He's equipped me, empowered me, and I can do whatever He has given me to do. Which is all these things we've been looking at. So that's how that works out in, in practice. He says, get up and use what's been given to you. Give it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Keep your ultimate goal in sight. Keep your eye on the goal. Christ. Walk in the Spirit. We looked at that in Galatians 5. Abstain from lust or whatever it is. You know what that means? To stop doing it. What does it mean to mortify the flesh? And somebody can say, well listen, my psychologist said that I have way too much anxiety and I need to stay away from anybody that would be preaching this kind of message right here because that will make you go bonkers. Uh, you need to stay away from religion. Or, uh, you know, it can be a number of things. It's saying that's too difficult. Uh, just do whatever you want to do. Satisfy yourself. That sounds real good, doesn't it? Love yourself. No. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, in that is the fact that, yeah, you will take care of yourselves. You already have a love from God. You don't have to concentrate on loving yourself. Love God. Love your neighbor. I'm last. Philippians 2 says that we are not what it's about. It's about God. It's about others around us. Stop doing the sin that offends others. Self-discipline. Run the race. Make no provisions for the flesh. In Romans 3.14, this is what Augustine read, and it's what helped bring him to Christ. 
When you have the Word of God, it drives you to Christ. It drives you to see your sin and how you're delivered from it. In Romans 13.14, pick up and read as he heard the kids yelling in the garden or a place where they were playing and Augustine saw the book, he picked it up. And right here was Romans 13.14 where he turned to, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. For that he was saved, behave properly as in the day, not in carousing, drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. He was every one of those. He knew that. He was in an illicit relationship. When he became a Christian, he had to walk out of that relationship and cut it off. To kill it, to starve it, he mortified the deeds of the flesh. He made no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Whatever it takes, Jesus said to take off your hand, to cut whatever is off. You, you mean that people are to cut off their hand? Well, we're not going to go into that. You know better than that. We don't do that. Uh, just in case somebody you know turns to that and say he's saying cut off your hand if that hand made you sin. Well, the fact of the matter is that we got a heart problem there. We need to cut off our heart. Uh, well, how do we do our cutting of the heart? Well, it's being you know filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's what Jesus was saying when he said that on the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying be radical, whatever it takes. You know, stop it. Or do this. It's actions. And some might say, well, I've tried that. I've tried quitting cigarettes, for instance. And I've been a great quitter because I've quit 35,000 times. I'm really good at it. It's just that I started up again. Uh, well, the thing is, is what's happening there? Uh, it's still going to take a decision that I'm going to do it. You have the power of God to do it. You go in there and you say, I'm depending on you, Lord, but He's saying, yeah, well, I've already given you everything. It's not so much about prayer. I already know what I'm supposed to do. He says, do it. Sometimes we pray for things that we already know that's in the Scripture and we are to do that. And why do we pray? Lord, help me to do this. Well, it's a good thing because it's reminding you. But God's saying, hey, I've already told you. Cut it off. Stop it. Mortify it. Kill it. And that's all I know what to tell people that they continue to do things that they know is wrong and I can say, well, here's what Scripture says about this. And they say, well, I've already tried that. And you know what they'll do? They'll go to some secular source and they will tell them what they ought to do. And I can guarantee you, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's not going to be coming from Scripture. It's going to be doing something that is of the world and it's totally worthless. You know what I'm talking about. Watch out who you hang with. Psalm 1.1, do we sit in the seats of the scoffers? Do we sit with them? Or do we sit with the godly ones? Do we hang out with believers and get built up? Or do we hang out with unbelievers and say, well, I want to lead them to Christ? Well, that is the reason why we'd ever be around an unbeliever. But if it's not making an impact, just move on. You've given them what they need. You'll be there if they want to talk about those things, but if they want you to live another way or to speak them things they, they do and such, uh, we don't belong with that. We have truth. If they don't want it, then we move on. 
Don't let them carry you into what that is. Make a covenant with your eyes, Job 1, 31, 1 talks about. A covenant that you'll not look upon things that will make you do things you don't want to do. Deal with temptations immediately, James 1. Talks about that. We all have that, that sin that sticks out. Deal with it now, quickly. Don't let it go any further. What happens when we do fail? 2 Corinthians 7 says to repent, to confess your sin, to have a godly sorrow, right? When we fail. What's the positive approach to mortification? 1 Corinthians 16.13 says this. Boy, there's so much to be said about this. Why? 1 Corinthians 16. 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Act like women. Be strong. Let all that you be doing be done in love. What's your motivation? It's for God and for people. Be on the alert. Watch out. Stand firm. Be strong. Act like men of God. Act like women of God. Because you are. Watch. Stand fast. Be that way. I want to close with this. Okay, and I mean it. <laughs> I mean it. In First Peter chapter 2. Oh, this is so good. Remember what we started with? Remember who you are? First Peter two nine. But you, 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 you are a chosen race. You are elected race. You are elected individuals. You are elected by God. He chose you. A royal priesthood. Access right into the throne room of God. Because the veil has been torn. Christ's work has been done. We are now priests. And we can bring people to Christ too as priests. A holy nation. Sanctified. That's what we are. We're a holy nation. Set apart. A people of God. A people of God. Own possession. We belong to Him. Who are you? You're His children. You belong to Him. So that you may... Here's what we are made for right here, folks so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know what we're called to do? Proclaim Praise the excellencies, the majesty of God. That is what our lives are about. And we've been doing it here this morning by singing, by praying, by reading the Word, by listening, by preaching. It's all a part of giving praise to Him. We've been doing that. A Christian is one whose main ambition is to show forth the glories and the excellencies, the praises of God and of Christ coming from the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are to testify to the grace and the glory, the love, the majesty of God 
There's nothing like Him in all the world, in all the universe. Sin is inconsistent with the new identity, the new persons that we are. I am no longer sin's slave. I have been freed. I am a new creation. Christian, Christians, you belong to Jesus Christ. You bear His name, Christ. Little Christ's Christians, you belong to a new order of existence. Live in a way that honors these truths that we have looked at. Let's pray. Father, great God, what an area that we are dealing with in this book of Romans and all throughout the New Testament, Old Testament. All of these things that shows what You have done. You've empowered us. And we have all the power, just like a car has the biggest engine that it has, and we want to be able to use that engine and be able to vehicle in the way that we were intended at the height of the power that You've given us. Lord, thank You for these Christians who have come here to be reminded we all know these things that we are to be who we are and to do things. But it all starts with knowing who you are and where you've placed us. And then we take joy in doing the things of God, not the things of self. Help us to die to self, to kill these things, these sins of the body, in Jesus Christ's name and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen.